Our sermon text for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read the whole chapter, uh, though I'm going to be focusing on the first uh, 28 verses. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Before we read, let us pray together. Our Father, we come before you again this morning to to receive, to hear from you, to uh, to see you in all of your glory, to see our Savior in all of his glory, uh, to hear your words of grace and to be reminded of the forgiveness of sins that we have in your Son, of the, the, the new life we have in your Spirit, the hope we have of the resurrection. And uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, open our eyes and ears this morning, that we would hear your word, that it would... Uh, take root in our hearts, and that it would bear fruit in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 15. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat? He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you have, would, uh, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the worship of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. 
and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. We all live with a sense of shame. Shame is different from guilt, of course. I experience guilt when I break a law. But shame is something deeper than that. Shame is this sense that I am a lawbreaker. I experience guilt when I do something wrong, but shame is this sense that there is something wrong with me. I experience guilt when my behavior is unacceptable, but shame is this sense that I am unacceptable. Shame is this sense that that I don't fit in, that, that I don't belong, that I'm different somehow in a bad way. There's something wrong with me. This morning we're going to look at uh, shame as we find it in Matthew 15. We're going to look at uh, the systems of shame that we build. We're going to look at the uncleanness of our hearts. And we're going to look at grace for those who are unclean. First, we're going to look at systems of shame. In Matthew chapter 15, there were some religious leaders who came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, Jesus was quite a ways away from Jerusalem, and these men were not just stopping by for a pastoral visit, right? They were here to confront Jesus. And uh, this, this is kind of like an official committee sent from a denominational headquarters to check up on and rebuke a renegade pastor. That's what they're doing, right? They're coming to rebuke Jesus. And uh, they confront Jesus with a question in verse 2. They ask him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, it may seem that they're taking up a a, a problem with the disciples, not with Jesus, but these are Jesus' disciples. And if they break this tradition, it must be by Jesus' instruction or example, right? He is their uh, rabbi. He's responsible for them. So they're breaking this tradition, lays on Jesus' shoulders. And so they confront Jesus over this issue. See, they want to know, why don't your disciples keep the traditions by washing their hands before they eat? Now, these guys are not concerned about health or hygiene. They're concerned about ritual cleanliness. There there are these laws in Leviticus, uh, particularly in chapter 15, about cleansing with water. Now, the laws there were actually about specific circumstances, but the religious leaders had expanded them to everyday life. And by not washing their hands, uh, according to the Pharisees and the scribes, they thought that the disciples really showed a disregard for purity, a disregard for religion. And so they, they, as far as they uh, were concerned, the disciples were unreligious. They didn't wash their hands before meals. Well, Jesus, you can see, he turns it back on 
these guys. He says their traditions that they are so concerned about actually enable them to break God's law. Jesus says they're hypocrites, and he quotes Isaiah in verses 8 and 9. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, he says, for the sake of their tradition, they break God's commandments. Which is more important, Jesus is saying to them, your tradition or God's commandments? They break God's law in order to keep man's tradition. You see, the, the religious leaders in, Jewish, in Jesus' day, rather than keeping what God had actually said in Scripture, they had developed their own system of religion around that, and Jesus rebukes them for it. In some ways, this is a much-needed rebuke in, in our day, because too often we think that we can just kind of piece together what we like from various religions or various traditions, and we can kind of believe what we want, pick and choose in our day of, of religious tolerance, right, we think that it's more enlightened to treat religion like a smorgasbord, right, where every person kind of picks what they like, what they like, and then every person's religion becomes a product of their own imagination. They just kind of, here's what I believe, here's what I like to think. Well, even within Christianity, we fall into that. We fall into a kind of syncretism, right? We try to take what is good from different places and put it all together rather than looking to the scriptures to be our guide. Well, Jesus here is telling us something. He's telling us something about about true religion and he's telling us something about the nature of real religious authority. He's saying we, we we should believe what the scriptures teach, what the scriptures teach, right? We should not, on the other hand, allow our consciences to be bound by the teachings of men. Um, So we need to be able to distinguish between what the Bible teaches on the one hand and the traditions of the church on the other. Even good traditions, we need to be able to make that distinction. What is from God's word right? and what is simply from men? What, is, what, is, what do we need to hold on to no matter what and what can we let go when need be? Even as a pastor, of course, what this means is I have no right to make things up. Right? The elders and I, we, we can't just make up what we want. You know, we can't just decide uh, this is what we think Christianity is all about. We don't have a right to revise Christianity for you guys. Right? The, the only authority that we have is the authority to declare and apply what the scriptures say. That's it. That's our authority, to declare and apply what the Bible says, period. Well, what does all this have to do with shame? That's what I started out talking about. What does this have to do with shame? Well... The Old Testament purity laws that the Pharisees, right, were building on are about shame. Uncleanness, this idea of uncleanness is about shame. When we, when we feel shame, we feel unclean. Things that are unclean are things that don't fit. To be unclean uh, show that something was wrong with you, right? And anyone who lived in Israel for any amount of time regularly became unclean. You see, in the Old Testament, God had given this temple system which involved distinctions, right? Distinction between clean and unclean, distinctions between common and holy. That which was holy, right, is set apart to God. It's special to God. That which is common is is normal. It's part of this world. It's every day. But the common, the everyday, was separated further into two categories of clean and unclean. These two categories, clean and unclean, they're not the same as sinless and sinful. Sometimes we think that. That's not the case. You could become unclean by touching a dead body or by touching blood or by touching mold. All of those things made you unclean. So being unclean is not the same as sinning. 
And yet, if you're unclean, something is wrong. Uh, Maybe you've come into contact with some effect of sin in the world. Or maybe you've come into contact with some kind of corruption. By coming into contact with this thing, you would have become unclean. Under the law, lots of things were unclean, right? Anything that didn't fit the pattern, anything that wasn't normal, anything that didn't fit in was considered unclean. So things like crabs and lobsters and shrimp, foods that I love, were unclean. But they were unclean because they didn't fit the pattern of being a fish, right? That, that, they didn't fit what it was like to be a fish. And so they were different, and so they were considered unclean. And with so many things being unclean, people became unclean to various degrees all the time. The Levitical system was not set up to avoid uncleanness altogether, but to deal with it. Well, over time, the, the religious leaders came up with a system to avoid uncleanness, right? They, they didn't want to ever become unclean, so they added to God's law to do their best to make sure that they would never, ever become unclean. Then they would look down on other people who became unclean. They equated unclean with less than, right? Anytime that that we look down on someone as less than us, whether for religious reasons or ethnic reasons or because of something that they've done, we're treating them as if they are unclean. We're treating them, uh, we're shaming them, right? Well, the religious leaders were bothered that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands, right? They, They didn't keep their traditions. They didn't follow their rules. Why were they so concerned about that? Because these religious leaders got their identity from these rules. The Pharisees were considered the most religious people in Jesus' day because they kept all the rules down to the letter. They were clean, they were good, they were without shame. And this distinguished them from everybody else, right? It distinguished them from the Gentiles who who didn't have God's law or didn't have the Jewish traditions. This distinguished them from other Jews who, who weren't as meticulous at keeping the traditions as they were. See, they had their system set up never to have to feel shame, never to have to feel unclean, never to have to feel less than anybody else. And this is actually the way we often live, believe it or not. We, we all have our rules, our ways of avoiding shame. And we all think that my particular rules make me a good person, right? We boast that we follow our rules, right? Look at me. I, I vote the right way, or I recycle and am eco-friendly, or I care for the unborn, or I'm pro-America, or I'm pro-immigrant, or whatever it is. But we, we think because I follow my rules, I'm okay, right? And because you don't follow my rules, I can safely ignore you or shun you or reject you or badmouth you, right? You don't follow my rules. You don't live up. And so you are at best irrelevant, probably annoying to me, and at worst an enemy to be fought against. You're unclean, right, because you've broken my my holiness laws. Sadly, it's often the way this is, this is often the way it is in the church, right? We treat certain people as unclean and others as clean. If you vote the right way, you're clean. If you have the right views on creation, you're clean. If you vote the wrong way or have the wrong theology, you're unclean, right, untouchable, See, we have our own systems of shame. What this leads to is a lot of false shame, right? We, we shame one another for not living up to our standards. We treat people as less than, or on the other hand, we feel less than because we feel that, well, I'm more tempted or more sinful or less smart, less capable, less beautiful, right? I feel weak or powerless or worthless. We see how good others look according to our human standards, and we know how messy our heart is, and so we feel shame, 
We think I'm so much worse than the people around me. I I don't fit in. If they only knew how bad I really am, they would reject me. We look at people in our in our school or in our workplace workplace and we think, well, they deserve to succeed, but I deserve to fail. What we're doing is we're taking man-made laws and we're comparing other people's appearance to our own messy hearts. And so we justify others, right? They look good. Look at how good they look. And we condemn ourselves. And do you see how odd this is, right? We, we simultaneously find ourselves in a place where we try to keep the rules so we can feel good about ourselves and reject others. But at the same time, we know our hearts. We, we know that, that by the very standard that we shame other people, we ourselves are shamed. So this brings us to the next point about the uncleanness of the heart. You see, after his discussion with the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus wants to make himself absolutely clear. And so he calls the crowds to himself, and he says this in verses 10 and 11. He says, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. What defiles? What makes someone unclean? That's what the word defile means, to make someone unclean. What is it that makes someone unclean? What brings real shame and makes one an outcast? It's not what goes into the mouth. It's not eating with unwashed hands, but it's what comes out of the mouth, says Jesus. You see, after Jesus then had this conversation with the Pharisees and the crowds, his disciples come to him and they are upset a little bit that Jesus has insulted the Pharisees. They're, they're confused about what Jesus is talking about. And so eventually Peter asks he says, okay, Jesus, I'll bite, right? What are you talking about with this whole heart thing? Explain to us this parable. And Jesus responds in verse 16. He says, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. See, what Jesus is, is teaching here it was truly radical in his day. He wasn't just rejecting the traditions of the elders, but he was declaring that the whole Old Testament cleanliness system was done with. In fact, Mark adds a note at this point and says, by saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Do you ever notice in the Gospels that Jesus is not afraid of becoming unclean? He touches the leper in order to cleanse him of his leprosy. But in so doing, Jesus becomes unclean by touching a leper. Jesus is ready to go to the house of the Gentile centurion, which would have made him unclean. Jesus was touched by the woman with the flow of blood, but he's not bothered by the fact that he has just become unclean by her touch. And then he goes and he takes a dead girl by the hand and raises her to life. But she was dead, which means that he is now unclean. See, why does it seem like Jesus is is almost flagrantly disregarding the laws concerning clean and unclean? Well, for one thing, Jesus has come to put an end to that system. Under the ceremonial system, there is this distinction drawn between two different things that belong to this world, this age, the Jew and the Greek, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the clean and the unclean, the rule keeper and the rule breaker. Jesus comes along and says, look, it's not what comes into a man's body that defiles him. It's not what food he eats. It's not what clothes he wears. It's not how he cuts his hair. It's not giving birth to children. It's not having sex with your wife. It's not having any number of various skin diseases. 
All of those things would make you unclean under the ceremonial law. But Jesus says, no, these are, these are all distinctions of this age. Distinctions that on the level of our relationship to God don't matter. And Jesus says in verse 17, again, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? He's emphasizing that, look, all of these things, whatever you take into your body, it, it's, your body processes it, then it comes out again. It can't make you unclean because it's on the outside. It leaves. But, verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Right? It's about the heart. True religion is not about following a certain set of rules, do this, don't do that. It's about your heart. And we think, oh, this is great. Right? We, doesn't this make it all better? It's not about rules, but it's about the heart. Thank you, Jesus, for saying that. We think that it kind of removes it from some objective, organized, institutional thing. It keeps it private and personal. It's all about me and the way I feel, but that's not what Jesus is doing at all. For Jesus, this is actually a sweeping condemnation of the human race. He's saying true religion is not about hand-washing rules. Not, not because there are no rules in Christianity. Of, of course there are. Right? God still desires us not to murder, not to steal, not to covet, not to commit adultery. But true religion is not about rules because no amount of rule following can make us clean. No amount of rule following can make us right with God. No amount of rule following can take away our shame. We can go through all kinds of reform outwardly. And in one sense, it's easy, right? It's easy to keep up a certain set of rules. It's easy to look good, especially in our group, right? We kind of mutually affirm one another. We pat each other on the back and say, you're doing a good job. Look how good you look. It's easy to distinguish ourselves from those who are outside. We're not like those people. But those things never change our hearts. Our hearts remain the same that whole time. See, if we only focus on the outward, keeping certain rules, do this, don't do that, then we are like the Pharisees who Jesus elsewhere calls whitewashed tombs who outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all manner of uncleanness. No, for Jesus to say that uncleanness or defilement or shame comes from the heart is for Jesus to say that we are all unclean. Jew and Greek, religious and non-religious, men and women, young and old, rule keepers and rule breakers, we all stand before God unclean. doesn't matter whether you wash your hands or not. You stand unclean before a holy God. See, the ceremonial system was meant to teach us that we are all unclean. None can avoid uncleanness. The Old Testament system was a temporary illustration of our deeper need. It wasn't the need for clean hands that the Pharisees should have been concerned about, but the need for a pure heart. This is what brings us then to grace for the unclean. That's what we need. We, we all are unclean, and so we need grace. After Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, he leaves he goes to a place, he goes to Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman comes to him. She's crying out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Jesus appears to ignore her. The disciples get tired of her racket, and they ask Jesus to send her away. Once again, the disciples are sending people away from Jesus, right? Seems like that's what they do best. But it might be that they are asking Jesus to heal her and get her on her way, right? Like, Jesus, we know you can do this. Just heal her and send her away, right? So we don't have to listen to her anymore. And if that's the case, that makes sense of Jesus' response in verse 24. He's then responding to the disciples in verse 24, where he says, 
I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, the disciples say, Jesus, just heal this lady so that she stops making all this noise. Jesus says, no, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why would Jesus say that to his disciples? I mean, yes, on the one hand, we know from the rest of Scripture that the gospel is for the Jew first and then to the Greek. But Jesus in John 10 says that he has many more sheep who are not of this fold. Jesus came for people from every tribe and tongue and nation, the Bible says. Why would he say this to the disciples? Maybe he's testing them. What will they say? How will they respond? What's their answer? Silence. But she comes and she kneels before him and she says, Lord, help me. And Jesus seems to brush her off again. Verse 26, Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's a simple metaphor, right? Which basically means, look, this isn't for you, right? I'm not for you. I'm the bread in the story. Jesus is saying he's the bread. He's saying, I'm not for you. While the disciples, again, remain silent to Jesus' comments, the woman responds in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You see her response? She says, I know I'm a dog, but isn't there grace for me too? She knows her shame, but she shamelessly asks for grace. Now, as good as the Pharisees looked, right, this woman looks equally bad in that day. Uh, she, as clean as the Pharisees were, right, this woman was equally unclean. She was a Canaanite. Now, uh, the Israelites were supposed to wipe out the Canaanites like, what, 2,000 years earlier? Uh, but they didn't. And so her very existence there is a sign of Israel's failure. And in fact, the word Canaanite wasn't even used anymore in that day. So Matthew, using that word, is highlighting her uncleanness, right? The Jewish people would have despised her. That's one level of her uncleanness. She's not just a Gentile, but she's a Gentile Canaanite, right? How bad is that? But then her daughter, right? What's wrong with her daughter? Her daughter has a demon, a demon, an unclean spirit. So this woman and her daughter are as defiled as they come. And notice she's defiled both outwardly and inwardly. Outwardly, according to the, to the uh, Pharisees, she's a Canaanite woman. She's unclean. She's a Gentile. But inwardly, her daughter, at least, is defiled. She has a demon. But Jesus has just declared that outward things don't make us unclean. Jesus has just declared that it's not about the food you eat. Or we could extend that argument to the clothes you wear or your ethnicity or your culture. Jesus has just said all these things are clean. What makes us unclean is our hearts. So why does Jesus then say to his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And why does he say to the Canaanite woman, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Well, he's, he is testing his disciples Have they learned the lesson? Do they realize that her Canaanite heritage doesn't matter in terms of her status before God? He's testing them. What are they going to say? Are they going to draw the implications he wants them to draw? Well, who gets it? Not the disciples. The Canaanite woman gets it. She replied, you know, Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She replies, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
She's saying, isn't there grace even for the dogs, Jesus? Isn't there grace even for people like me, Jesus? And we know that this is the right answer. This is what Jesus is going for, right? In fact, it's really at the heart of what Jesus is teaching his disciples because he responds to her, oh woman, great is your faith. Now think about what Jesus has often said to the disciples. Back in chapter 14, he says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith. In chapter 16, the next chapter, he's going to say to all the disciples, Oh, you of little faith. But to this Canaanite woman, who's unclean in the eyes of the Pharisees, he says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. You get it, right? Grace is for everyone. Grace is for the dogs. Grace is for people like you and me. Grace is for sinners, Grace is for the really bad people. Grace is for the worst of the worst. Why is that? Well, because when we start ranking people's sins, what are we doing? We are looking at their outward appearance. When the Pharisees say, we're better than the other Jews who don't follow the laws as strictly as us, and they're better than the Gentiles, and of course the Gentiles are better than these people, right? What are we doing? We're looking at outward appearance. But what really matters, what really makes us unclean is in our hearts. And at that level, we're all the same. We all need the same grace. We all need the same forgiveness. We all need the same mercy and the same patience. This is the heart of Christianity, coming to Jesus in your uncleanness, not denying it, not papering it over with a veneer of goodness, right? not hiding your shame with a show of rule-keeping, but coming and begging for bread, begging for mercy, shamelessly asking to have your true shame removed. And as with the Canaanite woman, when we come in our unworthiness and beg for mercy, we will hear Jesus say, Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Or as Jesus said to the leper earlier, I am willing. Be clean. How can Jesus do this? How can Jesus just accept this unclean woman? I mean, she is unclean, not because of her Canaanite heritage, but because of her heart. Right? She even admits her own unworthiness. Jesus, by declaring that uncleanness comes from the heart, he doesn't justify the Gentiles, right? He condemns the Jew with the Gentile. He doesn't excuse the non-religious person. He, He calls out the religious person too, which means by Jesus' statement about the uncleanness of the heart, this Canaanite woman is still unclean. But in a far deeper way than the Pharisees ever imagined. So how can Jesus accept her? How can he love her? How can he receive her? Well, go back to the Old Testament ceremonial system. It wasn't only meant to teach us that we are all unclean, but it was also meant to teach us that God has provided a way to become clean through the blood of a sacrifice. The Old Testament system was a temporary illustration, both of a deeper need, but also of a deeper provision. The Bible teaches we are all like one who is unclean. Even our most righteous deeds are are, are unclean before God because they come out of our unclean hearts. But then there is the blood of the sacrifice, the blood of the bulls and goats, which points us forward to the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. The Bible teaches that Jesus became unclean for us. As we said, he he touched the leper, he ate with sinners, he accepted Gentiles. But more than that, the Bible says Jesus became sin for us. He went to the cross, he was uh, stripped of his clothing, he was naked, he was violated of all human dignity, he was mocked, he was put on display. Jesus' cross was a cross of shame. But it was there that he offered his body for our sins. It was there that he bore our sin, that he bore our shame. Hebrews 9 says that it's not the blood of goats and calves which cleanse our hearts, but the blood of Christ, which purifies our consciences. 
Or 1 John chapter 1 says the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, note the emphasis in those verses on cleansing, being cleansed of our sin and our shame. We are cleansed and our shame is removed by the blood of Jesus. No longer are we outcasts, far off, unacceptable. We are loved and accepted and received, even beloved children in Jesus. And this cleansing happens as we come to Jesus like the Canaanite woman and confess sin. This is what the Pharisees refused to do, right? They, they hid their uncleanness behind this veneer of rule-keeping. They kept all the laws meticulously so they could say that they were righteous, they were good, they were shame-free. But that's exactly the opposite of what the Canaanite woman did, right? She came to Jesus and she says, I know I'm a dog, but isn't there grace for me too? Do you have a sense of your own shame? Not because you break man's rules, but because your heart is fundamentally crooked and rebellious and selfish and sinful and perverted? Come to Jesus. He will take your shame. His blood will cleanse you and make you clean in God's sight. Whatever makes you feel like an outcast, if it's not sinful, it doesn't matter to Jesus. And if it is sinful, it can be cleansed by his blood. Jesus became unclean for us. He became sin for us. He faced the Father's rejection for us that we might find acceptance in him. Come, whoever you are, right? Come, come to Jesus. Come and have your shame removed and find acceptance with the Father in Jesus the Son. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would, I pray that you would teach us about our own shame. As scary as it is, that you would, that you would allow us to look at it and to understand it, and, uh, and then to bring it to you, and to lay it at your feet, and to know that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every shameful thing. And Father, let us rest and rejoice in that cleansing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.